Show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Thanks for joining us tonight. We have a very special program for you ahead. We've got Rick Hirsch, managing editor of the Miami Herald newspaper. He'll be with us in the studio during the 7 o'clock hour. This is the Only Miami Show, and we've brought together a couple of other guests here to discuss a topic that will be on the city of Miami's agenda. It is the world's largest music festival, Ultra. Ultra Music Festival held annually in downtown Miami Bayfront Park, and we'll have Mark Sarnoff, City Commissioner for District 2, on the telephone at 7.10 p.m. And afterwards, Rodney Barreto, he is the spokesperson for Ultra Music Festival. Thanks for joining us on the Only in Miami show tonight, and if you'd indulge me for a few minutes, I'd just like to give my two cents on the Ultra debate. This year during the festival, I did not personally attend the show, but I did spend quite a bit of time in downtown Miami, using mass transit, walking the streets, hanging out, taking pictures, going to a few parties with friends, and seeing what's going on, and listening to a lot of great music at some of Miami's like underground clubs. And I can tell you that it was a fantastic event from my point of view as a neighbor, it was the quietest ultra I had ever heard. For the first time from my balcony, I could not hear the thump 24-7, or at least for the 12 hours that the show goes on. More than that, I didn't see any incidents of drunken revelry or breakage due to ultra, just a lot of kids having fun listening to music. Now... Ultra is not just a Miami phenomenon, but it was born in Miami. It started in Miami, and it grew out of Miami's Winter Music Conference when all of the top DJs from around the country began to gather 25 years ago, uh, and they would make it a club event, similar to what the Urban Beach Week is uh, on Memorial Days. Well, Winter Music Conference became an institution itself, and it spawned Ultra, and Ultra has now gone on to surpass the original Winter Music Conference in the size and scope and become the world's largest music festival. I say that it's culturally important to keep that music festival in Miami and in downtown Miami. It's an iconic showcase to young people who will come back to this city and visit again and again and again. It's remarkable that anybody wants to cancel this festival. It's the best advertising that the city of Miami could possibly have for its merits as a destination. Not the city of Miami Beach and not Miami-Dade County, but the city of Miami itself. Therefore, I do urge the city commission and the leaders of this city to take a mature and fully thought-out stance to work with Ultra to make the best event possible for years going forward. I feel that Ultra has made tremendous progress in creating an event that does not disturb the neighbors like it once did. 
And furthermore, the crowd that arrives spends money in the city of Miami. They create jobs, but furthermore, they created an industry of ultra that we now export. That's right, Miami exports its events to other continents. And that creates local jobs, and that creates an industry here that's unique, authentic, local, and real. This is the Only in Miami show, and we'll be right back in just a minute after the break with Rick Hirsch, managing editor of the Miami Herald, Only in Miami. During Philanthropist, the nation's largest nonprofit festival, taking place Saturday, April 12th at Miami Dade College, Wolfson Campus. Come ready to learn how you can help change the world. Everyone here. the only in Miami show and I'm your host Grant Stern we're here with Rick Hirsch managing editor of the Miami Herald Rick thank you so much for joining us tonight thanks for having me here Grant well you come bearing news I hear uh well I do uh we have a new publisher at the Miami Herald today the first female publisher at the Miami Herald right her name is uh, Alexandra Vlock. uh she's been at the Herald since 2000 uh, most recently as our advertising VP okay um, a familiar face. She knows the market. She knows uh, South Florida. Uh, went to high school, college here. Yeah. Spent her career here uh, first in the airlines, interestingly enough. Uh, and then. Did she work for Eastern or Pan Am? She worked for Eastern at one point and was okay. the uh, manager of United Airlines throughout the Caribbean and in this part of the world for a number of years before she came to the Herald. Okay, so she's been around the she's been around since the turn of the century now. That's quite a while. Since the turn of the century, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Somebody yeah. had to say it. She has. And and she's obviously committed for the long term. She's been there for 14 years. Can you tell us a little bit about her outlook as publisher? Well, when she met with employees today, she talked about all the things we do at the Herald. Uh, one of the things she emphasized was uh, the digital future. She said we publish newspapers. Uh, we publish websites, but our future is digital, 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 and, and that's really the truth for us. I think that sounds exciting. It's probably maybe a little overdue even. I mean, the Herald has been digital for a long time. We have. And they've had some initiatives too, the digital paper, remember the, where like you got a PDF with the entire newspaper and... Oh, that's kind of old school. Uh, <laughs> and in, in fact, we still publish uh, a digital paper uh, in addition to websites and uh, on a variety of platforms. So uh, really right now, digital paper is a little part of what we do in the online space. 
smartphone, tablet, desktop is the rest of it. Well, I saw you guys recently updated your smartphone app, right? Right. We have smartphone apps for the iPhone and for the Android, but we also have what they call a WAP site, a digital site that is made for smartphones, a responsive site. Okay, so you've got the, a, a mobile site that's not the same as the desktop right, now. Right, M.Dot site. Right, and and that's a new one too, correct? Right. Yeah, no, I was on there a couple of weeks ago and saw that it, it had changed. It wasn't the same banner. And Right, it'll be, uh, all of our sites will be changing in the fall. We're, we'll be undergoing a redesign and will be responsive for the tablet and for digital and for smartphone rather. Okay, so, so we should expect actually like a huge redesign, like everything is going to match and go across the platform? Unless you're using one of our apps for smartphone or tablet, uh, our site for desktop, smartphone, and tablet will be responsive, so it'll adjust to the size of what you're looking at it on. Okay, that's great news. I mean, are you guys planning any initiatives where, for example, uh, you're blogging or you know the community outreach? There's been a lot of different things in the past that have been tried. Um, you know. we, we are um, working with some bloggers. Uh, uh, obviously, we're active on all social media. Right. No, I, I think everybody at the Herald is social media friendly at this point. Plus, they verify you now. We are verified, indeed. <laughs> right. It's a privilege. It's nice to have that blue check mark next to your name. Yeah, does it open up any special doors? Has anybody mentioned it yet? Um, I hear from people, um, all of my daughter's friends think it's really cool that I'm verified, so <laughs> it's important. Uh, but it means that uh, the person that you're uh, following or tweeting or DMing is really the person you think it is, so... That that's good to have. I mean, it, it also adds some credibility. It adds some credibility. It also holds that person to a slightly higher standard, which is that you know they don't have much excuse. It's their verified account. Um, now we're expecting some call-ins. There's this big story that you guys have been reporting on, and we have two call-ins scheduled. Uh, and we're talking about Ultra, of course, which is what I led the show with earlier. Right. Um, so. Each year, I think everybody gets a, a very, very healthy report from the Miami Herald about how many arrests, statistics, you know, what went down at Ultra is really reduced to a column about, you know, the, the negative stuff. But there is positive stuff going on. What do you think about Ultra? And, and well, and, and, and I would um, I, I point out we ran a story on page one of the paper on the front of the website. Uh, Friday before Ultra started by Jordan Levin, and the story was about how much business is built around Ultra and the Winter Music Conference, the the impact uh, those events, and, and mainly Ultra, have on uh, the economy in South Florida. And it, it's pretty dramatic. It is uh, an event that uh, is now in its second decade and, and fills this region with people who are interested in electronic music. So... Yeah, I mean, it, it's really grown from something tiny into something massive. I mean, it's 160,000 tickets. And they're expensive tickets, too. <laughs> they're pricey tickets. Yes, yeah, 500 bucks for the weekend, I think. Uh, yeah. So, um, it, well, it's like every major act in the space shows up, though. I mean, I, I can't really name anything quite like it for any other genre. Maybe Kyocho? Uh In South Florida, I would maybe Art Basel. Uh, for that world, uh, but for electronic music, uh, this is really it. Well, when you think about it, uh, March has become festival month in Miami. 
you have a million people at Cayocho. Right. You know, we had the president of Kiwanis come in. He said that 500,000 attend uh, the Carnival on the Mile, which goes on for two days up until midnight. And then, you know, another 500,000 admissions for Ultra. Well, really, you go from President's Day weekend in February through the end of, of March, and the town is packed. Uh, and Ultra has become kind of a capstone of that uh, part of the calendar. So, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, it was two weekends the year before, and I was speaking with some friends, and they said, you know, last year was a little bit more intense because there was the two weekends. So it was kind of like there was a week leading up f- filled with right. action, and then the week in between was high activity, and then, of course, the second festival. Right. I, you know, I, I talked to some people who are in the business who prefer having them overlap. Um, I, I have a um, my street cred for techno music is that um, my nephew works for one of the labels. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, Mad Decent. and which is Oh, Dip- they're a really good label. Which is Diplo's label. That is Diplo's label. And so label. they're down here for the week, and they're doing club shows and house parties and then oh sure they did shows yeah. at grand central right and they um, did something last year at gramps mm-hmm. so yeah no i'm very familiar with diplo i actually got into him uh through the guys at grand central several years back i hadn't heard of him and um they they were talking about booking him i think it worked he's out he's a florida well. guy yeah 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 he's from like upstate right yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah no he's he's a very interesting character musically he was actually out in korea like I found this out because I started following him uh, because of Grand Central, and uh, he's like, "Yeah, I'm working on this great thing called K-pop. You guys are going to hear about it." And I'm like, "Okay, K-pop. Well, PSY, you know, the the Gangnam Style dance. That was something that he inspired. I don't know if he, I don't think, I don't think that was his company, right? But Mad Decent actually had the Harlem Shake was theirs, right? They released so, the Harlem Shake. Uh, they made that that made a really good year for them last year. Oh, great year for them." Yeah, that's the oh no, that's a great company to have your your nephew work for. But uh, yeah, so he played this year. Diplo played at Ultra this at year. At Ultra, yeah. Usually he plays at like Live or at Grand Central, right? But I think um, last year he was not there, but he was there the year before. So. Right. Yeah, and and you know it just I thought the two weekends was great in the sense that it just there's so much activity. I mean, it was like people could plan for a whole two weeks, so there was a lot more satellite activity kind of like with with basil where you're like guaranteed a very solid week so you know there's a ton of satellite activity every year well and people think of this in some ways as a miami event or a downtown miami event but the town is packed from the beaches uh up through midtown with all the events around uh winter music and etc all righty i think we have a call in from mr barretto calling from ultra rodney yep Hi, Rodney. Thanks for joining us on Only in Miami. I'm Grant Stern. I'm the host. Rick? Hey, how are you today? Good evening. Doing great. Rick, how are you doing there? Good. Hey, Rodney. Hey, Rick. How are you? So, Rodney, I wanted to give you a couple of minutes to respond, and, and Mr. Sarnoff is l- a little bit late in calling, um, but I think we know what he's you know generally going to discuss here. Uh, you know, I wanted to give you a chance to speak out about why Ultra is important to the Miami community. Um, just for our audience to, to understand, uh, Rodney is the spokesperson, the official spokesperson for Ultra. Rodney? Yep, thank you. You know, Ultra Music Festival started by a local uh, gentleman, Russell Fabish, uh, 18 years ago. 
Uh, Russell was born and raised here in Miami. Had a dream to put on an electric music uh, event with uh, um, the Winter Music Conference. And uh, over the years, he's kind of grown, and he has become kind of a leader in this industry. In fact, Billboard magazine just came out with the 50 most uh, important uh, people in this industry, and uh, Russell is number six on their list of 50. Wow. And uh, so that speaks volume. You can Google that. I'll have your listeners Google that and, and understand what that means, because it's important, because I think that uh, for, for the city of Miami to have this uh, as a yearly event, by the way, it's only one event per year, and the only place in America it is is in Miami, Florida, and Bayfront Park. They, they host it in other countries throughout the world, but uh, it's Miami uh, and... Uh, Miami is the big one, correct? That, that Miami's the... Uh, well, no, there's, there's, other, there's other big ones as well, but Miami definitely is the, the baby that kind of that gave birth to the whole, the whole concept. Sure. Um, so, you know, in, in this world, I mean, and if, and if you look at it, I mean, you can understand the magnitude it has because you have people like Madonna who come, who come to you and want to release her song. And then you have the Black Eyed Peas who come and release a new song at this event. And you have people from all over the world, uh, DJs, who want to be on this stage. It makes, makes or breaks a career. Um, so, I mean, this is a lot bigger than Miami, is what I'm trying to say. And uh, it certainly is just one of the things that makes us so exciting as a city. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, you look at who we are. Miami is, you know, obviously a lot of people would, would make the argument we're the gateways to the Americas. But we're also the, probably the hottest city, not in America, but in the world. And this is part and partial to what makes us a great city. I, I for one, agree. Uh, I think that Ultra is something very unique to Miami, and it definitely enhances our environment here. Now, Rick, do you have any questions for Rodney while we have him on the phone? Well, Rodney, obviously the controversy has to do with what happened the weekend before last and the security guard uh, who was injured when a group crashed the fence at Ultra. I guess my question would be, whose responsibility is that? to make sure that security is maintained. Is that Altris? Uh, is that the Bayfront Park Trust? Is that the city of Miami? And who ought to be held accountable for what happened the weekend before last? Uh, I, I can answer the best way I think I can by saying that we're doing a top-to-bottom review. Uh, we work hand-in-hand, not only with the Miami Police Department, the Fire Department, but also with the Bayfront Park Management Trust and the risk uh, management department for the city of Miami. Um, we're, we build this plan together, and uh, you know, and over the years, the police department would come back with certain requests, and we would be amenable to those requests. Uh, I think this year we upped the ante by 50-something officers, 50-plus officers uh, that we paid for. Um, uh, and at no cost to the taxpayers. So I think the total amount of police officers we had was 257. So, um, you know, I don't know if I totally answered the question or not. I mean, I think... Um, I think well, it appeared that wasn't enough, so what do you no, do? I think, you know, I, you know, I could make the argument that on any given uh, event, 
that's held in, in and around the city, including football games, you're going to have issues. You know what I mean? I mean, there was, there was a shooting at Cayocha where somebody got shot in the gluteal area. <laughs> I mean, shooting, yeah. like guns. I mean, we're, I don't think you guys, were there any guns at Ultra? Did, was there some sort of violence problem? Or was it just all gate crashers or what was going on? Because, you know, obviously not all of us had time to be there the whole well, weekend. <laughs> this is, you know, the, 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 the issue with respect to Ultra is, it's, first of all, it's not a cheap ticket. And, and um, a lot of people come. And once you go in the event, if the event doesn't allow you to come and go as you please. So once you go to the event, you have to stay, or once you leave, you're, you're done for the day. Um, so what, what happened here is you have a lot of people who, who kind of descend upon the event and look for opportunity. Um, uh, you know, and, and the way social media is today, <laughs> it's very easy to everybody text, okay, let's meet all over here and let's figure out what we want to do. And, and uh, unfortunately, that's the world we live in today. Um, you know, so we had some, some, some non-ticket uh, folks down there who decided to rush a gate. I mean, you know, uh, I got to tell you, um, I, I reviewed the, the police-issued report that that report, the police issued a plan of action for the police department, which was distributed by the police department to all the surrounding buildings in, uh, in the area, uh, that called for eight officers at that uh, corner, five on traffic duty, three, uh, two on the fence, outside fence perimeter security, and one roving perimeter right there. Um, you know, I don't know what, the, what else to say. I mean, we certainly had adequate police in the area. Um, so I think, I think that, that, you know, these things, we review them. Afterwards, we would have reviewed this with the police department. We would have made uh, a cha changes if changes were necessary. Uh, and that's how the event has evolved. Like other events in this community have evolved, you've got to change as the event gets bigger and grows and so on and so forth. Well, I mean, I, I think that it's tough to control every variable. It's life. <laughs> yeah. uh, what can you do? Well, you know, the, you know, I think, I think, I think what most people um, miss, Grant, uh, uh, is that we have uh, nine over nine people at a hundred fifty plus countries watching this live via the internet. Uh, it's amazing the, the, the amount of people who, who, are, who are into this electronic music festival and into the DJs that play at these festivals. They have huge followings. Um, so um, you're right. I think, you know, one of the things we recommended last year to this year is to go with the G8 fencing, you know. Um, it wasn't required by any kind of contract. It wasn't required by Rayford and Park Trust. We volunteered for it. We paid for it. So, oh, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> like you said, you guys had a ton of police in the area. There's a plan. I mean, even the best laid plans don't always work out sometimes, but there's a worldwide audience looking at the music. You know, that's a cultural event. It is. Well, Rodney, thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight. Uh, we're going to take a short break. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
hope, passion, and philanthropy during Philanthropist, the nation's largest nonprofit festival, taking place Saturday, April 12th at Miami Dade College, Wolfson Campus. Come ready to learn how you can help change the world. This interview with Mark Sarnoff was presented at 8.25 p.m. when he called in. Rick Hirsch, managing editor of the Miami Herald, had already left the studio, but we're presenting it to you along with our interview of Rodney Barreto, spokesperson for Ultra, alongside Rick Hirsch, managing editor of the Miami Herald. Commissioner Sarnoff, are you there with us? How you doing, Grant? I'm here. I'm great. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, I know you were traveling and, and probably quite busy. So did you get to hear any of what we were chatting about earlier tonight, or should I fill you I'm in really, a little bit? I'm sorry, I didn't grant. I apologize. No worries, no worries. Well, we did have Rick Hirsch on the show. He just took off, and uh, Rodney Barreto, the spokesperson for Ultra, also called in. And we had a good chat about Ultra, but I wanted to get your thoughts, because there's a city commission meeting this Thursday night, Right at City Hall, it's uh, 3500 Dinner Key Road or Pan American Drive. Pan American Drive. Right, it's it's at Dinner Key. I understand that you've got something pending with Ultra this Thursday. Do we? There's a resolution asking that Ultra no longer come back to the Bayfront Trust to the uh, to the park Bayfront Trust Park right there. Um, the basis of that is in 2013 we said that we would look at statistics from Ultra and see how it was doing. Well, here's what we now know. Three people have died of MDMA drug overdoses in 2013. That's statistics based on emergency room deaths at Jackson Memorial Hospital. This year we had one death, and I'm not speaking of Mr. Soto, um, the person that was found dead in the car. We have a person in critical condition doing poorly, and of course we have Erica Mack. In 2013, we had a stampede at the front gate where 25 police officers with their bikes, putting them across their chest, pushed against the non-ticketed crowd for about 20 minutes to hold them off. So we knew that stampedes were happening. We knew that it was being arranged on social media. And then in 2014, we had the stampede where Erica Mack was trapped behind a gate that Ultra was told to fix and change. And her, she broke her leg in two places, and she received a fractured skull and brain trauma. Okay, so there's been some significant injuries caused by or during the Ultra Music Festival. Well, it's my there's four deaths, two people in critical condition, and possibly another death. Do you think that's in line or unusual for a music festival this scope and size? I know that there's sometimes injuries and other mal events happening at music festivals that are massively large like Glastonbury or other EDM or just festivals out there in the country. Do you think well, that this is an do. outlier? I, knew. I do know that the Electric Zoo, when they had two drug overdose deaths in um, Grand Ole Island in New York in 2013, that Bloomberg shut down the second, two day, the second and third day of the event. I do know now that Electric Zoo is trying to come back because they've hired de Blasio's main fundraiser and uh, they're trying to get a permit and de Blasio's considering it. I, I think I think these are way too many deaths. I think these are way too many injuries, and I have never seen another event that is put in the urban core just like this. Uh, certainly not in New York, certainly not in any of the major cities in America. Um, the, the, the events that you're talking about, whether it's you know any of the major festivals, exist 
exterior of the urban quarter, corridor. And that includes, you know, the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, 350,000 people. But they're in the fairgrounds. They're in the horse track race uh, in New Orleans. They're not in downtown New Orleans. New York doesn't allow it to happen in Central Park. I think this is something that's too much for the urban core because you're putting about 70,000 people in one night in a pen because that's what you're putting them in, G8 fencing, and you have one way in and one way out, and you're creating no emergency exits. So you're, you're creating the, the necessary components of a tragedy, and we've had many singular tragedies. Well, the problem hasn't been people trying to escape, has it? It's been people trying to break in. Now, I understand that it is a significant population in downtown, but do you have ridership counts or have you heard any anecdotal stories about the use of transit? Because I can tell you that when I was on the Metro Mover, I saw the cars, they'd they'd have double cars and they were being full. I mean, they were used. So it didn't seem to me like anybody was out of control in those cars. But I mean, do you think that it's a disruption factor for traffic or is it just you feel that the festival itself is too dangerous? When you have to take Friday and Saturday off of the schools of Miami-Dade College, have to take off. When you have drug-sniffing dogs going into, you know, LaSalle, the Friday of class to get the MDMA out of it, you kind of wonder, where is this going? What are you doing to your own population? Is this the kind of festival the city of Miami wants to promote where we have to acknowledge, Grant, about 70% of the people attending this festival are doing MDMA. MDMA elevates your blood temperature, requires you to drink a lot of water, it causes a sucking event. That's why they sell all this water downtown, that's why they sell all the lollipops, and that's why a number of people have died because the brain actually hemorrhages from their from their blood uh, the, the blood being too high for the brain. So that's how most of these people die. Well, the one other argument is, isn't it better to simply have it out in the open where everybody can see what's actually going on? I mean, if 70% of, of Ultra was using some sort of illicit substance, only 0.005% was detained or arrested. You're talking about 80 arrests for 480,000 admissions. Something like that. Oh, I, I, I am sure the police department is not arresting everybody they see doing drugs, because I'm sure they're being instructed not to do that. Otherwise, you wouldn't have any police force out there. Uh, you know, so, I don't know that, because honestly, I was at the Garlic Fest up in Delray Beach, and I saw the police darting into the crowd and arresting people for smoking joint. I mean, it was I, kind of shocking. I'd never seen that at a concert before, but I'd never seen, you know, I, I'd I, never thought that it couldn't happen, you know? I can I can assure you, Grant, with the few police that we have, there is no way the city of Miami, as a protocol, could have people arrested for simply doing drugs. There's just not enough police officers out there. No, I know. It's difficult. You have to make choices. Right. I would just like to say that I would hope that it's possible for the city and Ultra to work together, but I understand that you have a very, very adamant position on the matter, and I would encourage all of our listeners who care about this and who have something to say to go out, because you're going to have a public hearing on Thursday. Is that correct? There'll be a public hearing on it, correct. Uh, do you have a time that the, the ultra matter is going to be brought up? Yeah. The, chairman, the chairman's not given us a time certain yet. Okay, and the meeting starts at what time? Six o'clock, seven? No, it starts at nine, it oh. can, and it can be heard anywhere from nine to six o'clock at night. Okay, so it could be anywhere from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And uh, where can we find out if a time gets set? Will it be on a website? It should be. Uh, it's what, cityofmiami.gov? Or? Probably be on miami.gov. Okay. Somewhere. 
So for our listening audience, if you're interested about Ultra, there's a public hearing that will take place between the hours of 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. on April 10th at City Hall, 3500 Pan American Drive. That's Dinner Key, Miami City Hall. And you can find out more at www.miami.gov. Commissioner Sarnoff, thank you very much for joining us on the show tonight. Grant, thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you for calling. Have a great night. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami Show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. We're here with Rick Hirsch, Managing Editor of the Miami Herald. Thanks for joining us, Rick. Glad to be here, Grant. So, what'd you think? Well, uh, it, it, it's interesting. There's a vote that's going to happen on Thursday, and uh, the City Commission is going to be asked by Commissioner Cernoff and Mayor Regalado to um, pull back, not have Ultra in Miami next year. Um, Rodney Bredo sounds confident. I, I wonder if the votes are there to pull the plug on something that uh, certainly from the financial standpoint means a lot uh, to the city and the region. Well, I think it's important to point out to our listeners that in the city of Miami, the mayor does not have a vote on the commission. So the mayor may be calling for it and Commissioner Sarnoff as well, but that only represents one vote of a five-member commission. So nobody really knows what's going to happen. I mean, we haven't heard from the other commissioners, right? Uh, we've heard from Commissioner Croyo, who okay. oversees the Bayfront Park Trust. Uh, but but uh, it will... Uh, I mean, I understand the Bayfront Park Trust gets $1.5 million a year. It is by far uh, the biggest event they have and, and the biggest source of revenue they have. Uh, I think the, the next largest event um, generates about $70,000 in revenue. Uh, compared to a million and a half, it, okay, it's game over. Right, that's that's tiny. I mean, how much is their budget? Do you know? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but I can I can assure you that a million and a half is a major contributor to the budget they have there. So, so without that money, basically, they'll have to shut the park down half the year, or limit the hours, or well, no. I mean, the trust gets other revenue from the city to run it. Uh, but in terms of running events and that sort of thing, this is a so like huge New Year's and, and all the events that, you know the the free music concerts through the rest of the year are kind of subsidized by. I think show. it funds events like the free music concert and what and, and whatnot. But I mean, the, you know, make no mistake, the trust has other sources of revenue, but this would severely alter the scope of some of the things that they do. No one's talking about shutting down Bayfront Park uh, as a venue that people can use day to day, but this would be a big hit for that. I mean, similar sums of money are shutting down libraries, you know, like across uh, the unincorporated parts, you know, Miami-Dade's libraries are getting shut down for a million dollar, you know, a couple million dollars shortfall. I, well, I can't if Mayor Jimenez was so. here, he would say there's been some alteration in the hours, but they've kept the libraries open. Right. I mean, it's just, it's a landscape changer. If it's, it, it is a, it's a huge uh, uh part of their budget and, and part of what they do. So uh, Commissioner Carroyo is the Park Trust, like is he on the Park Trust board or? I believe he's the chair of it. Okay. Yeah, and it, the, the Park Trust is under him. So uh, I think you can, I mean, Commissioner Carroyo has indicated that uh, he would not support uh, eliminating Ultra. Well, it's um, not too late, hopefully, if Commissioner Sarnoff's listening or has uh, 
checked his email. He'll give us a call before the show's out. So I wanted to ask you a couple of other things about what's going on at the Herald. We talked a little bit about digital, but um, you know, I understand you guys have a partnership with WLRN Radio, correct? We do for 11 years. And from what I've been told, they're moving out to Doral pretty soon? Um, they are, Grant. Um, we entered into an, a, a partnership with WLRN 11 years ago. Um, we built radio studios in the Miami Herald newsroom. The local news that you hear on that NPR affiliate is the WLRN Miami Herald News, and we worked together with the radio professionals from WLRN to put that, those newscasts together. When we moved from downtown Miami to our new offices in Doral, um, construction had begun on some pretty spectacular studios, three studios there. Uh, they are not done yet. Uh, we expect them to be completed, they say, any day now. I would say by the 1st of June. Uh, and the group will be moving back out into our newsroom. Um, reporters uh, still work there at, at some points during the course of their week. Um, but they'll all be back out there. We'll be doing the Florida Roundup and some of the other programs in addition to the daily newscasts. Okay, so once the, you know, is, is there another end of life coming here? Are they, well, what's going on? Is is the TV station going to stay there? No, no, TV station has always worked separately. This is okay. the radio component. So the radio is, the, I didn't realize the radio had that whole. The radio has been, uh, has been part of, um, the Miami Herald newsroom yeah. uh, for a long, long time. Okay. So they are in the belly of the beast, so to speak. Well, now it's official. They're going to be. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, you know, again, yeah. they, they, they were located in the Miami Herald building yeah. uh, going back to 2003. So, I mean, tell me a little bit about what the culture is like out in Doral versus in the old building in the original offices. Because I know that, it, I mean, the old offices were like gothic in scope. I mean, it was a tremendously large space. Well, they would say Miami Nemo. But, yeah, that's uh, the, so it was a big move to make. The Herald had been in the same location for 50 years. If you grew up in Miami, that building was something you knew sitting on the bay. Uh, and it is a huge structure. When it was completed in 1963, it was the largest commercial building in the state of Florida, 750,000 square feet. Um, but they're not building any um, manufacturing plants on Biscayne Bay anymore. And that's <laughs> yeah. really what the Miami Herald building is. It, the printing plant. Yeah, it was a printing massive. press. It's yeah. a printing plant. And it was located where it was located because at that time they brought the rolls of paper by barge. Okay. To the building, and they offloaded them uh, on the waterfront. On the waterfront. I, I always used to joke around that our grandparents would sit, look at any piece of water and say, "That's a great place to put something toxic, chemical, and we can build something with that." But well, I look at it and say, "That's perfect for a high-rise condo." Well, and if you look at where the arena is now, and where they're building the where they built the Pam, and they're building the Frost Art Museum, um, there used to be giant fuel tanks there for Belcher Oil. Oh yeah, that was a refinery, right? Right. Right. Right, or a storage area, anyway. Or storage area. So, so, um, so after 50 years, uh, as somebody in the news business, in a, a time where everything we were doing was changing to digital, where we had a need to create and edit video, uh, where we were partnering with the local 
public radio affiliate to do local newscasts 16 times a day. We were in a lovely, well-located, antiquated building that was probably 35% larger than we needed because we're a smaller organization than we used to be with all the changes in media. Um, all media organizations like the Herald are smaller now than they used to be. Uh, and so um, uh, it was time to make a move. Uh, and uh, those folks from Malaysia, Genting, uh, the, the gaming company from Malaysia, um, offered $235 million in cash in 2008 at sort of the depths of the uh, real estate recession. Some would still say overpaid for the land. Uh, mm, the I don't know anybody that would say they overpaid for that land. Mm, Maybe for the plan that they wanted to. Well, which uh, isn't, I, I don't think that's gone anywhere. The big we, shiny thing. They've, they've pulled away from that plan. But at any rate, uh, and yeah. so um, the property was sold. We had two years. I'm sorry, the, this was in 2010. 10, right. Well, another, well, another, uh, you know, the, the history of it is. It's known. I mean, there's. Uh, you had another buyer. He wanted to come in and make a, like a Times, the right. yeah Times Square district with like high rise advertising, which right. I thought sounded right. interesting. But right now, the the never previous deal, the previous deal did not include the, the building. building. It was right. all the land around it. Uh, I had always hoped that the Miami Herald might write itself into the future script of that property by, you know, reserving an acre or two for a high rise. <laughs> You never know, though. It's it's well, really it was, not a decision that was made locally. Well, you also need a place to put the presses, and and not that the presses have to be in the same place where the the news offices are because they don't. But but at any rate, uh, <laughs> that's not the way it ended up happening. Uh, there's this kind of slow tortured death of the building. Um, oh, right now it's terrible. Yeah, I, I pass by it every day. So yeah. I thought the uh, second floor would have made a great casino floor, but that's just <laughs> you know that's just me. <laughs> yeah, casino on the second floor, uh, maybe appropriate, maybe in, I don't know. Uh, you know. They say that business is a gamble these days, but oh, okay. Well, I mean, I'm sure that the uh, luck is in favor of the house anyway. You cut it there, so. But at any rate, so um, uh, when the building was sold, we had two years to um, relocate, uh, yeah. and went into the market, uh, and um, uh, it, one of the problems when you're in a place like Miami. Uh, and when you're in a business like ours where you have a lot of things and they all have to have cars, you know, we are not a, um, a law office. Uh, you know, if you work for a law office, people come to work, they stay at work, they leave at the end of the day. Maybe they're going to take Metro Rail or whatnot to work. If you're a newspaper reporter or an ad rep, you need to drive because you need to be able to go and run. Uh, and really, I think the thing that kept us from relocating downtown was not the cost of office space. It was the cost of parking. <laughs> the cost of parking. That that's tough. I mean, most people do commute downtown, right? You know, or it's it's better if you live downtown and commute away from downtown. No, true enough. But if you're if you're working as a reporter, you need to be able to get wherever you need to get in a big hurry, um, and that's a tough thing to do without a car. I don't know. So says you. <laughs> But we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
During Philanthropist, the nation's largest nonprofit festival, taking place Saturday, April 12th at Miami Dade College, Wolfson Campus. Come ready to learn how you can help change the world. You've just been listening to Electric Piquete. It's the first time they've had their music on the show, and we're going to feature them throughout tonight. So if you liked hearing what you heard just now, stick around through the second hour as well. We've got Rick Hirsch with us, Managing Editor of the Miami Herald. Rick, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you, Grant. So tell our audience a little bit about what got you into journalism. Well, when I was in elementary school, I did a longhand newspaper. Okay. Uh, worked on the newspaper when I was in middle school. We called it junior high back then. Uh, I went to junior high, too. Was the editor of my newspaper in high school. Did you go to Killian Grant? I would have gone to Killian, but I attended the New World School of the Arts uh, in downtown Miami. Okay. The editor of the newspaper at Palmetto. Okay. Uh, went to the University of Florida. Was going to be a lawyer. And had some journalism professors who said, Don't do it. Great. Just what we need. Another mediocre lawyer. (laughs) Why don't you do something you're good at? And ended up uh, writing for the college paper and interning at a couple of papers around the country, including the Herald, and wound up working for my home paper. Wow. So so you came back. You left and came back. So, yeah. Didn't go far. Uh, And 34 years later, I'm still here. So what other gigs did you work before you came back? Um, I worked for a congressman for a little while on Capitol Hill. I worked for the Palm Beach Post. Okay. Wow. So, And then you've been with the Herald for 34 years since 34 then. years. Yep. It's rare to find that these days. Covered a lot of different things as a reporter. Uh, my first beat was covering the city of Homestead. Um, way, way back, covered the construction of Metrorail okay. uh, as a transportation reporter. That that must have been, I mean, uh, actually kind of exciting. I mean, Ronald Reagan was talking about it back then, saying we could buy limos. Right. But right. I think that the numbers averaged out over time a little bit. Over time. <laughs> like many government projects, they <laughs> they greatly overestimated the ridership. I, I don't think Metrorail to this day gets the ridership they projected it would get in year two um, before they built it. But uh, the ridership's a lot more substantial than 
it well, was back when it started. The Metro Rail has been a peak ridership for several years. Like it's been increasing, you know, absolutely, like at absolutely. its all-time high and increasing. Well, and 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 as Miami has evolved, and people live downtown, um, and people work downtown, and and there has been residential built around the Metro Rail station. It's driven ridership. Well, that's that's actually a very important issue. I think that everybody in Miami experiences firsthand, which is transportation. Just you know, whether you're in a car, whether you've done like I've done and just said, heck with the car, I'm going to take the public transit, use car sharing, you know, alternative, you know, buses, trolleys, whatever's right. out there. Right. Um, what do you think is in the future for Miami when it comes to public transit? I mean, we all know what's happened in the past. I think many of us read the series that, that the Herald did about the, the CITT, which right. is a, an a- agency for those who may not know. It's called, I call it Miami's ultimate four letter word. Because it's it's four letters and three of them are just outright lies, okay? <laughs> Citizens, it's a board that has barely turned over in ten or twelve years. Right. It's a very very rigid board. Um, independent. Come on, <laughs> it's not very independent. It's, it hasn't acted as a watchdog, um, and our, uh, money that was intended for transit has gone to bridges and roads. Right. Uh, transit. That's not a lie. And trust. Need I say more? Well, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, there is a transformation that's that's taking place in how people get around in Miami, and and the boom in living downtown. Um, I think people uh, thought when the high rises were going up before the bust, no one would ever live there. But in fact, people have moved there and filled those condominiums and uh and and apartment skyscrapers because it gives them an urban lifestyle that doesn't require a car and i live on the beach and while i own a car my wife and i each own a hybrid just for the record um uh the great thing about living where we live is unless there's some work reason we can spend entire weekends and never get in a car uh, and we've got bicycle sharing and uh, there's there's car sharing in miami i think car to go has been a huge success story for this region Uh, the deco bikes has been very successful on the beach now uh, have you heard any reasons why the city of miami has not allowed deco bike yet because they're based in the city of miami but they're not allowed in the city yet you know i keep hearing that they're going to open in winwood and they had the experiment during art basel where uh they set up temporary stations but uh no I, i i don't know the answer to that question that's one that maybe the miami herald ought to ask I agree. It's it's been vexing me for years. They're literally right across the street from where I live, maybe a block or two away, and I'm, you know, here we are three years later. Right. Right. No, it's 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 a great question. Um, you know, the trolley has been successful in Miami. Uh, are they operating one in Doral now too? Do they have a trolley for a while in yeah. in, in Doral? You know, Doral's an odd place. Uh, um, really? It, it, I never heard that before. Yeah. I heard a, a Venezuelan person or two live there. A couple. I, yeah, a couple. couple. They're building this huge project called Downtown Doral. Oh, they're uh, building Downtown Doral. Okay. The, it's a very expensive um, housing mixed use um, right in the flight path of Miami International Airport. So we'll see how that goes. Maybe it's luxury housing for the death. 
<laughs> Sorry. I'm I'm just a cynic when it comes to this stuff. You know, I own a mortgage company. Uh, you know, and that actually I do have to give a, an occasional shout out to Morningside Mortgage, who is the wonderful mortgage company that does underwrite this show and all other shows that we produce these in these days. Um, but I've seen so many uh odd ducks uh grow up in this town and then become other things, you know. Like for example, the Omni. The right. Omni Mall was supposed to be a mall. Then it became a tech center. Didn't, you know, at the peak of the tech bubble and didn't work out. And now, now it's, it's a college. Now it's a college and, and the secretary of office. Genting. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> uh, so they're saying it's going to be a casino one day, possibly. We possibly or some somehow part of an entertainment complex. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that when the Miami Herald, the old Miami Herald building is knocked down and that is slowly happening. Uh, we'll see some plans for some kind of resort on that property. Um, but that'll be, I don't think there's anything coming out of the legislative session in Tallahassee this year uh, that's going to spell gambling. Uh, so um, maybe we won't see those plans anytime soon or maybe we'll see something that's the first phase of something that could be larger from them. Well, I've said often that the the Genting Group should just look to do another epic hotel. I mean, that's been a huge, unqualified success on the other side of downtown Miami. Right. And there's more space. Right. It's a Kimpton Hotel. It's a residential condominium. It's a a multi-restaurant and nightclub and spa, you know, venue. And it's right there on the water where it can't be obstructed. And I think that that would be a great location for something like that. I don't know if their suggestion box is open right now. Hmm. <laughs> well, if they're listening, I'm sure they've redrawn the plans already. And <laughs> no, I mean that's. I, I thought that that's actually what they were going to do. They kind of announced plans for a single right. tower, um, but then apparently but they haven't all, submitted them. Right, but it all hinges apparently on them getting some sort of gambling license. It looks. It well, obviously that that is their core business, and they continue to work uh, at trying to get that business enabled out of Tallahassee. Uh, the latest from up there is that it doesn't look like it's going to happen this year. Well, it's it's a complicated fight. Um, there's other players involved in gambling in the state of Florida, as you might imagine. Of course. Um, and, and as I understand it, the Seminole Indians have a deal with the state that basically says, whatever anybody else has, we get one better. If you give out unlimited gambling to anybody else then we get to stop paying $300 million a year to the state. Right. That's known as the compact. Right. The compact. I mean, that is yeah, not precisely yeah. it, but, but generally. Generally. Right. And um, basically the state kind of looks at it like their Bayfront Park and <laughs> they want this whole, you know, chunk of change flowing in. So it could make it very difficult for Genting to get what they want on the state level when the state would have to give up so much cash flow well, to an existing already and, anchored all over the state. Well, and also remember that um, Disney is extremely influential in the state of Florida. I think if you, you live in South Florida, you don't see that on a day-to-day basis, but but for nearly 40 years, um, Disney has been the biggest economic engine in this state, um, and uh, they don't support gambling. And, and they, they do actually have a cruise ship out of the Port of Miami now, right? They do, but, they just but added there's on. no gambling on oh. a Disney cruise ship. Um, and so uh, if you're, you know, 
for all the grandparents out there listening, not any. Um, <laughs> you know, if you if you taking the grandkids out on a cruise, you think where they go to, they go to sleep, you're going to go gamble. Well, no, you're not. Um, so they do allow booze, though, right? They do. Okay, just they checking. Do. Yeah. <laughs> so, but 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 Disney has effectively uh, sidelined gambling legislation for the last couple of years, and you can assume they'll continue to fight that. Yeah, no, I, I'm not surprised. For them, it's a uh, it, it's a zero sum proposition. They see well, that they would lose some people, perhaps, to this other resort, and you know, and, and they just want to protect their turf. And well, and with them, the Florida Chamber of Commerce has also taken a position against gambling. And and I'm curious, Grant, what's your opinion on on gambling in Miami and on that site? Well, uh, the last I checked, downtown Miami is not like downtown Cleveland. Number one. We've got nice weather. Number two, we've got LeBron James. So why do we need gambling? Like a downtown up in the Rust Belt where there's nothing else to draw anybody there. To me, it's an odd fit. And on top of that, it brings more problems, a lot of minimum wage jobs, but it takes money out of the community in the sense that money that's spent at a local business, even like a ginormous local business like the Fountain Blue, um, still gets recycled into the local economy. Um, so even like our local resort hotels, still they put a lot of money on the streets. I mean, Fountain Blue, I know a lot of people. I had a client who was a, a server there, and he did very well. I mean, these are really respectable jobs that people have. It's not just being a blackjack croupier and making $12 an hour. So it's not really a positive for downtown Miami. I don't think it's really needed to create a destination around downtown Miami. I think the the museum park, the 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 American Airlines arena, the the Arts Center, and then you know having all of these tech incubators that are popping up. And I mean, you know, three years ago you probably couldn't name one. Now our, our, we're out of the lab in right. Wynwood. Right. Um, we okay. also spend time at Mac Two Six One, which is on First Street. You know, right by the Metro Mover. Um, that's actually a no parking, you know, transit oriented uh, office. So for people that don't want to drive in, you actually save a ton of cash on an office space. Um, there's one, a new one called Skyline on 11th and Miami. There's one Venture Hive. Right. Um, that's right next door to the Mecca nightclub. And these are all popping up in, in this one corridor from downtown uh, northward. You know, shouldn't that be a draw? Wouldn't that be a great attraction to have in Miami? Thriving entrepreneurial scene? Uh thriving casino scene well and i think one of the questions is uh if those two things can happen at the same time a lot of people argue they can't a lot of people who are really active in tourism don't support gambling because um one of the things the tourism community in miami has going for it is these incredibly high room rates um and casinos tend to drive down rates sure because they're kind of giving the rooms away to attract people to gamble right if your business is not uh, making money on the room, it's getting people into the room and then extracting their money, uh, then um, rates go down. And if you're a hotelier in Miami Beach and you're enjoying... Aren't Miami rates, Beach's average rates the highest in the country right now? Um, they are among the two or three highest. I mean, they, they passed New York City a little while ago, I thought. Well, I don't, think they're, I don't think they're quite at New York City and San Francisco, but they are in that same bracket. Oh, they're easily inside that bracket. They're very pricey. I mean, several well, and, years and, ago, and the city of Miami rates are up there as well, especially in the January through April period. 
Well, there was during the last boom, there was a lot of hotels that were raised to make room for high rise condos that had luxury hotels. Um, There was a Marriott, for example, on Brickle, where the icon Brickle stands today. And that was knocked down. Those, you know, 400 rooms that were business, you know, business price, business class. And uh, they got replaced with a Viceroy that's luxury, that's residential luxury hotel. Right. It's short term, but it's not, you know. I mean, it's not like that. I, I, I was looking at Epic. It's about 500 a night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, downtown Miami, Brickell Corridor has some very high rack rates for hotels, especially in the season. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, they're not running a lot of Groupons. No, they're not running any Groupons. Although, like, some of the older hotels, they're still very reasonably priced in the, you know, 150 to $200 per night range in downtown Miami. But So you're saying that that a well, if you're, going, if you're going to Vegas and it's not rates. Super Bowl weekend, yeah. you can stay at terrific resorts for 90 a night or 110 a night. And so um, I think that's the worry some people have. That's a huge worry. I mean, that's that's a tax revenue worry, too, when you think about it. There's so many different bonds. Everybody says, oh, you'll never have to pay for that stadium. The tourists are going to take care of that. But what happens if our hotel revenues dip in the long term? I mean, all of that underwriting for that wonderful stadium is based on the premise that revenues will continue to rise with inflation, not fall. Well, and, and there's also a revenue stream uh, from those room rates that, that will pay for some form of a renovated convention center on the beach and perhaps one in downtown Miami. One day, I hope. I mean, they, they decided on one and then they, uh, down, you know, Miami Beach let go of their plan. Well, they got close to deciding on it. <laughs> they got as close as you could possibly get. They looked over the edge of it. Then democracy intervened. Democracy intervened, as it often does on Miami Beach. Every two years, they elect a mayor there. Right. Well, Rick, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It's been my pleasure. Glad to be here. And Rodney, if you're listening, thank you so much for joining us and speaking about Ultra and on behalf of Ultra tonight. Well, I would just say if you, you want to follow what we do, go to MiamiHerald.com. You can follow me at, at Rick Hirsch on Twitter. All righty. Well, everybody, this is the Only in Miami show. And we'll be right back at the top of the hour discussing sports with Drastic Fanatic. WZAB Sweetwater, South Florida's only business radio station. 880 AM, The Biz, a division of Salem Communications. On the NASDAQ as SALM. Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Joining me via the telephone is Drastic Fanatic. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. How was your Sunday? Enjoy that? Uh, All but about two hours of it. Really? All but two hours? I thought you only had two hours of respite in between. 
So wait a second. What happened on Sunday? I I totally missed it. I I, I forgot. Oh, you did not. So we can move on to the next topic. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I was there yesterday at the arena. Yep. Yep. I mean, what can you say? The Knicks threes were falling, right? Well, J.R. Smith set all kind of records, and they seem to be setting all these records in uh, defeat. <laughs> the records and defeat problem. Mm. Yeah, J.R. Smith, most threes made. Call out a podiatrist. Records and defeat. Mm. Most three-point attempts in one game ever yesterday. By in, in NBA history. I call that a very dubious record to set. I mean, only J.R. Smith could set that. Right. And then he put the good record that he did set was most three-pointers made within a three-game stretch. Which, which doesn't bode well for him because the guy who held that record the last time around kind of became a journeyman and then wound up being a third stringer on your Miami Heat. Uh, Steph Curry's actually the record holder. No, no, no. I'm talking about the team record holder. Oh, team? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tony Douglas actually had the, the Knicks re- uh, record with nine three-pointers made up until yesterday. That's correct. Yes, number zero. <laughs> so... I mean, talk to me here. I, I wrote an article for the Heat Fan Club, and, and I invite our listeners to check it out. Uh, it's on Twitter, at Heat Fan Club, uh, or you can go to www.heatfanclub.com. Um, we actually had uh, one of the articles got published on the front page of the Sun Sentinel today, but not the one about the, the Heat and Knicks, because that came out today. Um, but, yeah, things are falling the Heat way right now, between Indiana, the Knicks not making it, uh, well, I mean, would it matter? Like, would it really matter? Do you think the Knicks could possibly win more than one game in a seven-game series from this Heat team? No, nah, not this Knicks team. No. I mean, they only won one game out of four this season during the regular season. Right. And part of that, they've had a little success. But not with, not with the current state. Now with, I mean, as you saw, Carmelo was definitely banged up yesterday. I'm not trying to make excuses, but I'm trying to make an excuse. <laughs> not trying to make excuses. Wait a second. I thought Amari played great defense. I mean, if it was a bullfight. Yeah, nah. Amari's not known for his defensive prowess at all. I actually thought he was dancing flamenco. Yeah, he's a terrible defender. And that's the problem. You have one, one, one guy who can play defense, and that's Tyson Chandler. And that's unfortunate. You know, you have four guys in front of him before it gets to Tyson Chandler. So that seems to be our problem, yeah. That that definitely seems to be a problem, um, but but back to Amari. I thought he guarded the fire extinguishers very well yesterday. Right, there were no incidents with the fire extinguishers. <laughs> uh, take some solace in that one. Yeah, uh, no. So I mean, how bad is it with Melo? He looked pretty he shaky out there. Dead. His arm was completely dead. He said he has a extremely deep bruise in his shoulder, shooting shoulder, and that's why you, you saw he didn't take a shot. You know, he was just passing it. Uh, he took 17 shots, actually. Yeah. Made four of them. That's very low. That's very low. Yeah. I mean, uh, J.R. Smith, when you factor in the one-for-six performance from from inside the arc, he, he had an effective field goal percentage of 41. Right. So even though he set this wonderful record, he kind of, you know. That's a big right there. You know, it's a very isolated game. There's no... Uh, this has been documented week in and week out already. Nothing has changed. Next year we'll see change. 
Everything's falling right via heat right now. Indiana, if anyone who's worse than the Knicks right now, that's your Indiana Pacers right there. <laughs> so they're, they're opening the door. And now I think what the Heat has to worry about is now trying to secure the best possible record so whoever they play in the finals, they can try to get home court advantage over them. So, like, if you look at how they stack up, no one's, no one's going to get the first, right? Spurs are far and away going to be the one overall. But there's no guarantee that Spurs come out of the West. Now, wait a second. You're going far afield here. We were talking about the Knicks, all right? We're still not done with the Knicks here. Now, wait a second. Are, are, are the studio's looking at me. They're saying i got to take a break or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, look, I'll give you the break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about those New York Knicks and see uh, how the Zen Master is going to make them a threat in the playoffs. This is the Only in Miami show, and we'll be right back with Drastic Fanatic. is the only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter, at Grant Stern, and I'd love it if you check out our show website, www.onlyinmiamishow.com, where you can find all of our podcasts, all of our short releases, which are the two- and three-minute skits, and, uh, gosh, all of our social media. We have a ton of social media. We'd love to hear from you. I'm at Grant Stern on Twitter. We're here with Drastic Fanatic. He is at Drastic Fanatic on Twitter. Drastic, thanks for joining us tonight. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me once again. Always a pleasure. So, I keep hearing about the Zen Master. Yes. Okay, so how is Zen going to revive the New York Knicks moribund franchise after this year's disappointing miss on their playoff run? calling me the Zen master, right? I uh, call you that from time to time, actually. <laughs> this is true. Um, so, first question, right? Head coach, he's 120% Gonzo. There's no shot he stays around. So, who are they going to find? A lot of talk about Steve Kerr, right? Um, is he a defensive-minded guy? Not really. But Bill Jackson, you really need to be a defensive-minded guy? No, that's not... Um, you need, you need players that 
want to play defense. That's number one, right? So anyone can really play defense if they really try, but wanting to is 90% of the battle. Wait a minute. You're, you're saying that the Knicks don't want to play defense? No, the players on the Knicks, a lot of them, as you, as you pointed out, Amari Stoudemire, right? I think they want to play defense. I just uh, don't think they know how. Everyone knows how. You learn how to play defense in the sixth grade. Oh, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of, like, you know, defensive, uh, let's call it a learning disability for defense in New York City. Because defense takes away from those lovely statistic things that you could get on the other side well, of the now the whole New York City thing right there, because we grew up on your uh, Charles Oakley Knicks here. You're talking about I grew up on the Oakley and Mason Knicks. So defense was definitely something that we prided ourselves on. This new wave of basketball, this new younger athletic one-on-one type of model that's floating around the NBA now. It's hard to get a guy who wants to play. If you dig down and put your palms up, you're going to play good D, okay? Not good D, but at least more good things will happen for you on defense. The way it is now, guys are not within a 15-minute, 15-foot circumference of these players that are shooting. I mean, these guys were wide open. Well, I mean, the they're shooting a volume like offense. They're just playing a volume shooting offense right now. I mean, I think the Knicks took something like 24 more attempts yesterday than the Heat. Then Mastaway is the triangle offense, right? And but but is Melo going to stick after being burned like this? Million dollar question right there. That is a million dollar question. Is he going to stay around? Um, by the way, I'm going to open up the lines. Anybody wants to call and chat in. You are welcome to call in. It is 305-541-2350. Again, 305-541-2350. If you want to call in, we're talking Heat, Knicks, basketball. Move on to the Pacers in a little bit because they're in a pickle right now. So, I mean, they had 15 offensive rebounds more than the Miami Heat yesterday, and they still didn't come close. Yeah, but you get offensive rebounds when you chuck, right? So you get those long rebounds that bounce into your lap, not from attacking the offensive class and trying to take a short-range shot. Way different. Those are the type of, you know, when you're chucking 29 three-pointers, yeah, the, the ball's going to hit off the back of the rim and just fall back into the point guard's hand. That's not, that's not a statistic that's uh, indicative of hustling right there. Yeah, so you're, you're saying it's a sucker's stat. We're going to go to a quick break. We're going to be right back with the Drastic Fanatic. This is the Only in Miami show.
is the only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. Drastic, thanks for hanging on there. I'm here. I was I went by the Ultra uh, show, Ultra show. I was bringing my kids to Disney on ice, actually. Oh yeah, how'd that go? That was a, a, a magical experience, and um, we couldn't tell when we were out in the parking lot who was part of the show and who was part of Ultra. They all looked like <laughs> Disney characters. <laughs> So it was Disney on ice, on the streets, in the parking lots, and around the corner. That was it. It was Tinkerbells everywhere. A lot of Tinkerbells. A lot of Tinkerbells. So, where were we? Miami Heat? Uh, you know, I think we were talking about the Miami Heat. So you were saying the Miami Heat had uh, a lot of work to do to get the number one seed. They do. And like I said, what they need to do now is try to look at the standings in the West and see who they need to uh, beat out there. Are you on speakerphone out there, my friend? No, I'm not. Uh Uh-oh. Hearing a little feedback there. Well, okay, so, I mean, the the Heat have come storming back by pretty much being consistent, wouldn't you say? Um, I'm sorry, say again? The the Heat have come storming back in this race for the first seed by basically being consistent, right? Slow and steady, right? In the past, slow and steady. Yeah, and look, when you have the best player in the world, life is easier. That's the bottom line. No, come on, he still has to work. You see, this is the problem with the the New York players. They think talent will take them there, but it won't look. I mean, J.R. Smith's got a lot of talent, man. He just hit 10 three-pointers. How many steals did he have? Yeah, he probably had a stealer, but that's, yeah. He may have had a couple. You know, J.R.'s actually... But I thought Melo's a superstar. Melo? He is a superstar, but we all know the type of superstar. But he's not the superstar that you need, huh? Might not be. Like I said, I, I'm very impressed with the way you really gutted it out this year. It's not the Melo that we've all seen in the past. Maybe it's because he's up for a contract. Well, maybe. Maybe. Just slightly. I mean, hasn't he always had his best years in the contract years? Well, yeah, yeah, he maxed out. Like, he did. He had his best year the year before the year that would have been the contract year and then spent the contract year, you know, basically saying time for an extension before he was done. Oh, yeah, he demanded the trade before he was done. But still, he impressed me. You know, will it sustain? I know he truly wants to get uh, a championship. Does he think it's going to be here? I think it's a, a lot of things still have to happen. Uh, who's who's going to be the coach? Who can they get a second complimentary player? Does he want to wait an extra year for the expiring contract of Tyson Chandler, Bargnani, and Amari Steinmeier to come off the books? You know, if he's willing to suck it up one more year, and then obviously uh, we'll have a whole bunch of cap room in two years from now where we can go get a you know, that second elite player. I don't know if he wants to stick around. Will Phil Jackson uh, sell him? You know, on the on the future. We'll see. Mm, I think it's a tough sell, man. You're talking about a team that has no draft picks, cap strapped forever. Next year, it's the same. It's the same salary uh, cap purgatory they're in next year. Right, they're married to the exact same team next year. Right. So does Melo want to hang out an extra year? He's only going to get one year older. Only 
take so much more abuse on his body? Or does he want to just go now and just strike where the ke- while the kettle's hot somewhere else? I'm saying Chicago. They're going to amnesty Very Boozer. Possible. Yeah, they're going to amnesty Boozer. Why not? I mean, you know, Mello is a better player than Boozer. I think that's undeniable. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's... Um, you know, I mean, Mello actually decided to hit the boards this year for the first time. You know, he's, he's rebounding at a much higher rate than, than past years. Yep. And steals. He's getting steals. He's hustling. He really showed me a lot of grit this year, you know. But that's kind of like, it's a little bittersweet for me. Yeah, is he a black hole? Yeah, is he not like the best team guy? Yes. But has he shown me more more guts this year? More of that New York attitude that I want to see out of my out of my players? It's like it took the losing to bring out the toughness. Sometimes it's what you have to do. It's hit rock bottom in order to dig out in the hardest way you can. Yeah, but they're not at rock bottom yet. I mean, talk yeah, about another year with this roster. Maybe they'll bottom out. <laughs> but no, they, they were bottomed out this year. They they had a lot of long losing streaks this year. They definitely had some, some bottoming out. After last year, you thought things were going in the right direction, and then all of a sudden, you know, eight-game losing streaks after another, so... You know, yeah. things are breaking, breaking good for your heat. And, um, breaking you know, good. What's the story with Dwayne like, Wade? What's his story in this really long haul? Um, I actually like spoke to Dwayne personally. I told him to have at least one margarita during the game, right. but instead he put on a suit and he went and cheered for the team. There you go. Good team support. Now he's look, he's uh, he's in the Greg Popovich system, you know, actually. Dwayne Wade is playing for the Spurs right now. He's just resting for them as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're trying to rest, guys. I, I personally, I think you cannot rest LeBron James enough. I mean, LeBron probably doesn't even want to, but he could use it. I mean, he has been beat up like crap this year. Like, they just, you know, everybody that really wants to stop the heat knows that the only way to slow him down is, you know, to beat him up. That's what the Knicks tried yesterday. Everybody had two fouls in the first quarter. He comes through the lane like a bull, you know, with his arm clearing out with those big biceps that he tried to show us off yesterday. And uh, what are you supposed to do? you got to beat him up. There's no other way to defend it. You saw his little Timmy yesterday try to grab him and stop him and wrestle him down? That was a bad idea. LeBron took him for a piggyback ride and hit the end one. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why he's little Timmy. Hello. What am I supposed to do? You know, that's when it's time to attack the ball. Keep your hands on the ball. Defend the ball. Nah, you know, it's basketball, not basket body. Nah, he's a locomotion. Yeah, he is a locomotive. Look, man, I've played on the courts and played guys that are six foot eight, six foot nine, not as strong and fast as LeBron, but certainly big. And, um, you know, the trick is you just got to defend them. Like, don't let them get the ball above their head. Period. Like, you've got to just keep the ball below their waist and try to make them get rid of the ball. Don't let them catch the ball. I mean, you just have to... With the Heat, I think the only real way to defend the Miami Heat is through a zone defense. You know, clog up the paint. Yeah, force them to beat you from the outside. I mean, it's it's not that they can't. I mean, they have, you know, elite shooters on the outside. And, heck, you saw what happened. There was one sequence where uh, Tyson Chandler switched on to LeBron. LeBron was standing out there on the wing. 
uh, I want to say it was the right wing. And it's like, if you look at these shot charts, and something that I've actually uh, I wrote about in the heatfanclub.com blog, um, it was actually something that was published on grantland.com. And um, basically, like, he has hot zones. LeBron has hot zones. Everybody on, on the heat tries to stay, like, in a couple of different hot zones. And LeBron just, you know, he waited for Chandler to switch on to him. Chandler took one step back. That said, he let go from three. And he made it. You know, it's tough to defend. I mean, you just got to say, his own defense is your only way to. Bar none. I mean, you know, when you have that on your team, life is just easier everywhere. Hey, if you take, uh, you know, Shane Battier and put him on Milwaukee, what is he? <laughs> you know, if you try to take. Uh, if you took Shane Battier and put him on Milwaukee, they'd be an eight seed again. Shane Battier actually has an incredible plus-minus between the teams he leaves and comes to. I believe it, but still, I mean, he's a role player. At this point in his career, he's a true role player. Well, actually, you know, we we blogged about this. Shane said that this is it. This is basically his last run. Yeah, I would would say so. This guy's been playing basketball. I was in uh, T-Ball League. I I know it's so. I've been watching. He's... You know, he's been struggling more than usual. He's come around. You know, he's finally hit that groove. But uh, that actually happened, I believe, a week ago. Uh, he told Ethan Skolnick, and we blogged it on our uh, heatfanclub.com page. Uh, so for those of you listening out there, you would have known about this last week. Had you been reading? <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it's not, look, I mean, Shane Batty is an important piece. But think about guys like Mario Chalmers and Norris Cole. We picked them up late in the first round using two first and second rounders. We picked up Mario with a second round pick. The the Knicks have none of that. The cupboard is bare. No second rounders, one first rounder every other year, and not this year. What are they going to do? Uh, they got to do some bargain basement, basement shopping, first of all. Well, do they have a D-League team? Do they have a D-League team? Um... No, I don't think the Knicks have an affiliated team. But I'll tell you what, um, this is something we put it, it's also in the heatfanclub.com blog in today's post. Um, the Heat actually have an affiliate D League team, and the playoffs for them start on Thursday um, at 6 o'clock. So once you're done at that Ultra meeting, you can go check out some basketball. Um, I think it's only online uh, for this Thursday. Um, but the, the NBA D League actually made a deal with YouTube, and they televise everything live on YouTube. There's a link in the article. Um, so, I mean, for Knicks fans, if you're not getting enough, you know, playoff action, you can actually check out the Heat's D-League team. They're in the playoffs. Right. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I thought the Heat, the, I kept hearing that the Knicks would give the Heat trouble if the threes were falling. They were the last ones we wanted to see. I mean, maybe they can get Lynn back. Uh, trading deadline passed already. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Okay, well, forget misery, but uh, but something that needs company for this misery. What's going on with the Pacers, man? Is it a tailspin? They're they're pretty brutal right now. They're they're uh, three for their last ten. They've won three out of their last ten games. Uh, it's just the way their offense is functioning or not functioning. That's really what it's all about. I mean, they're they're completely stagnant right there. Um, Hibbert looks totally beat up, and uh, Vogel gave him a little break yesterday. And and they lost horridly. Oh, they were down by 30 at halftime or something like that to Atlanta. 
No, no, it was down like by 40 something at halftime. Yeah, so. They just can't get into a groove right now. I'm not sure what it is. Defensively, it seems like, you know, they still, they still play some tough D. Um, and then I'll probably carry them through in the playoffs, but they do need to find a spark on offense. You know, they traded Danny Granger. I haven't thought that, um, that might be, uh, an improvement. Well, you know what it was? They were they were hoping that they'd get a player for the future out of Evan Turner because they, they weren't going to sign Granger for top dollar. Right. And he, him and him and uh, Paul George basically, you know, trying to be two guys in the same position. And well, I mean, Granger was the old top dog. He was an all-star for the Pacers at that position. You know, it, it's tough for the new guy to exist with the old guy. Um, when it's not on an equal playing field. I mean, when you look at Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, I mean, Dwayne is still doing things that are very, very significant in his role and his position. Um, whereas Granger was scoring eight points a game, he was basically a role player on the team he used to be the leader of. Right, well, yeah, the injury bug definitely took that over. Plus the emergence of Paul George is a top player, too, so... Well, where are they going to be in the playoffs and how the East is going to shake out? I think we're going to hear a lot more from Brooklyn along the way than uh, from Indiana at this point. Okay, well, you know what? Let's let's go there after the break. I just want to wrap up with the Pacers because tomorrow night the Brooklyn Nets do come to the American Airlines Arena. I hope to see each and every one of you that's listening out there and cheering really loudly. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, they're, they've lost 7 of 10, the Pacers. I mean... A lot of people have been telling me that they thought that the Pacers might not make it past the second round versus uh, energized Bulls or Nets team if they face them. Well, not the way they're playing now. Right now, they were on their home court yesterday, and Atlanta took it to them. So they got to find the solution, and they got to find it quickly because playoff time is approaching. I mean, that, that pretty much ended the Knicks' chances, right? The two games down and four games left. Yeah. I mean, they need a total collapse from Atlanta, and they need to win out, right? Right, and that's not happening. That's not with Melo in, in the stage that he's in right now. It's just head on. And the worst part is we can't even hope to get a lucky bounce in the lottery. Well, I mean, you could get a lucky bounce in the lottery, but it's, it belongs to somebody else. Who's, who did it get traded for? Uh, that's not our lucky bounce, then. I think. I, I, you know what? I think it's actually a Melo pick. Like, that trade was... This is a mellow pick. Yeah, you're probably right with that. So it's Denver. Yeah, I think Denver has this one. And then, let's see. You know, I found a great website. Uh, it's called prosportstransactions.com. And um, and if you check out heatfanclub.com, the most recent post, uh, we did actually put that into the end. Um, but anyway, it's, it tells you, like, the future picks. So, yeah, the Nuggets will get the, the Knicks first rounder. Then the Raptors will get the second rounder. And the Rockets will get one. And, yeah, the Raptors are going to get a couple of them, actually. Yeah. What, so the, this year? Yeah, this year. Bargnani trade. Did they trade multiple picks for Bargnani? Multiple second-rounders, yep. Wonderful. Well, okay, there's one that wound up with the Raptors, but it was to the Kings. I don't know. It's It's pretty complicated here. I mean, there's just, like... Uh, NBA teams like divvy up their second round picks based on where the thing is slotted, and it's all kind of crazy. But I mean, that, that's why I like the site. Um, 
anyway, this, the booth is waving at me, and they're saying it's time for a break. So we're going to take another break. We're going to listen to a little bit more Electric Piquete, guys, right? Yeah, okay. I hope everybody's enjoying that. I am. This is the Only in Miami show, and we'll be right back. Drastic Fanatic. Drastic. Keep it at Drastic as always. Always, man. You can follow Drastic at Drastic Fanatic on Twitter. I'm Grant Stern. You can follow me at Grant Stern on Twitter. Easy to find. So, Drastic, pick a topic, man. I'll let you out of this next prison. Yeah, please. please <laughs> um, <laughs> you want to tell me about the Nets, actually. The Nets are coming to town tomorrow. Nets are coming to town, and um, they're looking for a four-game series sweep on, uh, on your Miami Heat this season, so so what know. do you think? Are they going to get it? Gonna, are they going to try hard to beat them, or are they not you know, going with zero philosophy and not trying to tip the playbooks? I think they're not going to tip any playbooks, and uh, I'd be surprised if LeBron plays. I think they're going to sit LeBron and sit Wade and let Bosch do it. That's my guess, personally. Okay. I mean, if it was me, that's what I'd do. Why, why go out there and Look, show them anything? Feet in hand. Don't, let's not get carried away here. You only, uh, you're two games up in the loss column, but this still That's true, but uh, the point is that the, the Nets are going to yeah. look to bruise. They're looking for bruise, man. They're looking to bruise. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, anybody who wants to try and slow the heat down is, is talking about a hackathon. Beating them up. Not good. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, is Garnett playing? Garnett? Uh, they might roll him out for this one. You think they're going to bring him off the bench and, you know? Risk his his health just for one extra game. I mean, they are. Let's see, they're forty two and thirty four, so they're pretty much locked into where they're going to be. The Bulls are two have two games up in the loss column. Bulls only have thirty two losses. They've got thirty four. So I mean, what is it? Home run in the home court in the first round? Are they actually? Yeah, I guess they're fighting for that, huh? Yeah, they definitely want to be in Brooklyn. Well, they they had that the other year. It didn't really matter. The Bulls still beat them on the road, right? Uh, last year, yeah, but uh, that was 
pre. There's not a big, a lot different team last year than they are this team now. This year. Well, you got Pierce there now, and Livingston, and Joe, jo- uh, Joe Johnson was there, but um, you know, got Jason Kidd running the show now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it is a different ball club. I mean, there's different guys. You know, Jet yeah, is there. Veteran, veteran guys in there, like, you know, Paul Pierce. But do you really believe in those guys that once it becomes grueling? I mean, we, believe, we've heard this before. Right? You gotta believe in the truth. Gotta believe in the truth. <laughs> I don't know, man. The truth is, that guy gets a lot of favorable foul calls because he's mastered the art. Oh, look who's talking here. He has mastered the art of looking like he stepped on a thumbtack every time he drives the ball, no matter who touches him. Are we talking about LeBron James or who? Man, LeBron had his face broken and they didn't call a foul. They broke the man's face. Then he had to become Batman and score 61 points. Every time they break his face, there's 20 flops, so, you know. No, no, a couple of them. A couple of them. I mean... You know, not uh, not a lot of flops on LeBron's part. Now, Chris Bosh, got to tell you, the man flops. But, you know, he's mostly jump shooting. I don't shooting. think he flops. I think he's just that frail that he actually, you know, I think, yeah, I don't think he's flopping. I think he's just that frail. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's not frail. I mean, he's 6'11". He's 240. He's not a, a pencil. And I'm 6'2 and a half, so I don't know. You do the math. Well, I mean, we know you're a growing boy. I just hate to tell you what direction you're growing there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we're talking about, though, in the first round, like the Heat are going to wind up facing the Hawks. Yeah. Should be fairly a cakewalk without Horford. I mean, the, the Hawks had a much better ball club with Horford. Is there any chance of Horford coming back or he's totally done, right? He's finito, dude. And even if he wasn't, uh, Danny Ferry already came out and said... We're not playing for the playoffs. We're playing for the future this year. We might happen to make the playoffs because they have a great coach. Yeah, well, it didn't, it didn't look like he wasn't playing for the playoffs yesterday in Indiana. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think the Indiana Pacers looked like they were playing for anything yesterday. I mean, they were down something like 33-11 in the first quarter, and then it was like 52-22. to I mean, at the, on their home court. I mean, when they really do have something to play for, they've been harping up and down how a, a home game seven would have been theirs. And I can see why. They have a terrible road record. Uh, the Pacers are 19-19 and 19 on the road. Not exactly championship material. No, that's not going to get you very far. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Grizzlies have a 21-18 and 18 road record. The Suns have a 20-17 and 17 road record. Those are like bottom of the draw West teams. I mean, the Heat are a respectable 22-16, and 16, which is really like a, a ways away from where they've been in past years. Um, just the, East, the East is so miserable this year, that's why you can get away with it. Yeah, but I mean, like, the the, the Bulls are 28-18 and 18 on the road. I mean, you know, they're a four seed. It's really not that... Uh, There's intensity, no matter where. That's why I love Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, no, I, I got to hand it to him again. He may win another Tom Thibodeau regular season championship award. We're getting the most out of his team. Joe, yep. But not in the second season where it all counts. I mean... He kind of uses them too hard in the regular season, maybe. And then they run out of gas in the playoffs. That's, that's 
philosophy has been documented. Well documented. Yeah, but well, let's see when the, maybe, possibly, potentially, somehow he gets back. Well, that's why I think Melo could be a fit there, because D Rose, Melo, and, and Noah, they all play that's three right distinctly here. different positions. Not like Chandler, Amari, and Melo. Right. Or three flavors of power forward, right? <laughs> well, four flavors if you want to count Italian ices. <laughs> you been following baseball at all? A uh, little bit, a little bit. I mean, <clears throat> my Mets and my Nets are kind of like in the same C in 2015 mode. So 2014, I'm just, it's like a leap year for me. I'm just trying to leap the whole year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's going to work there, buddy. <laughs> well, at a sports front at least. An entire leap year in the sports front. That's what it is to be a New York Mets, Jets, Knicks fan. You need a leap year once in a while. Hopefully yeah, from a tall building, a right? Leap decade, a leap. Yeah, a lot of leaping going on when you root for the teams that I root for, unfortunately. You know, the, the Knicks do need a leap decade already. It's kind of bad. I, you know, I think the Zen Masters got an interesting challenge, which is basically to keep everybody placated for the next two years while the team is horrible. Just, yeah. If only Jim Dolan could do what George Steinbrenner did. Remember how he brought the Yankees back by getting suspended? Right? Didn't they come back when, when George was suspended? He, he got suspended as owner for a while. Yeah, he did. Yep. <laughs> you know, but we should put together a top ten list of owners who should be suspended. Yeah, they're mostly in New York. <laughs> I don't know. We've got a few down here that, that are fighting for the prize. <laughs> no, listen, man. We got the Arisons. We can't have that many slots. I mean, th there's a few other groups that are not notoriously bad. Like the Browns have a terrible reputation. The, the Cleveland. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not the Cleveland Browns. I apologize to the Browns fans out there. I know you already hate us, but uh, the Bengals. The Bengals have a legendarily uh, difficult ownership group uh, headed by Mike Brown. Um, people have been frustrated with them for many, many years. Although they did pull off a playoff appearance this year. Yeah. But, uh, you know. About your, about your, uh, I know you're not going to say anything bad about them, but the Cleveland Cavaliers. No, actually, the Cavs have a pretty, you know, I mean, listen. The whole thing with LeBron, obviously very contentious. Um, you know, Dan Gilbert fired off an infinite, infamous memo. Uh, infamous not just for the content of it, but for being in Comic Sans. Um, and it's something that the franchise hasn't quite recovered from yet. Um, but, I mean, seriously, there's worse out there. There's much, much worse out there. And uh, right now, I, I hate to say it, but if the, the Lakers don't do something fast within a few years, they could be mired in that uh, pack of teams where owners are kind of dragging the team down, which never was the case. If you think that hiring Mike D'Antoni over Phil Jackson in any way, shape, form, size, or anything to be a smart, beneficial move to your team, you have severe, severe problems. <laughs> Very severe. I thought you liked Coach Antoni. He fit the uh, uh, 
he, he, he fit the Knicks philosophy of no D. No, I could not stand that guy as a Nick coach. He was fun to watch from a distance when he was running Phoenix. Um, and he was kind of fun a little bit when he first got there with the pick and roll, and Marty still had a little cartilage in his legs. And um, Look, they put together a, a, a group of decent players, athletes. Athletes. They had Wilson Chandler. They had Landry Fields. They had all these guys that fit a role, and it, it all made sense in the system they had. He still wasn't a good coach, and he's not a good coach now, and he couldn't win anything with that great Phoenix team. So, I mean, what, what has he shown to anyone along the way that he's a good coach? It's, it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick type of thing. It's like trying to recreate Showtime, like a poor man Showtime out there. That's what they were going for. Well, I mean, if, if the Lakers work really hard, they can catch the Kings for bottom in the Pacific. They're, they're one game ahead of the Jazz for worst in the West. So how far are they out of there? There's no way they're making the playoffs, right? No, no, no. They're 29 and a half games behind the Clippers and light years behind them and everything else. I mean, nice to see that. I always love They just played yesterday. Yeah. And they said three games have been decided by 100-something points <laughs> between the three games. Well, you know, speaking of the West, you know, the, the Warriors' Mitch Richmond was elected to the Hall of Fame this past weekend. Yes, yes. How can we not even talk about this? And then yours truly, right? That's right, Alonzo Mourning. And um, and that's actually something we, we wrote a blog post that got published on the front page of the Sun Sentinel at heatfanclub.com for. Uh, blog post all about Zoe, uh, you know, being the first Miami Heat player to win a NBA championship, an Olympic medal, um, and enter the Hall all as a member of the Miami Heat. Well, it's been a short history for the Miami Heat, but if there's any one guy out there that can represent the Miami Heat, I would take Alonzo Mourning any day. Oh, and have his number retired, all of the above. I, and I agree with you, too. He's, he's a very high-character guy. Um, and, you know, honestly, I was reading an article that it's, it's kind of crazy, but run, uh, what was it, run TMC with Timmy, uh, Mitch Richmond and Chris Mullen. On, yep. Right now, so now you have not only do you have two of those three guys elected to the hall. Richmond is, is who got elected this year. Mullins. Yep. Um, and Mullins is actually in twice because he was a member of the Dream Team. Um, I don't know how that works, but he's more in the hall than you know. He, he's strong with the force. College career too warranted. Uh, oh yeah. As well. Yeah, uh, Mullins had a great career at St. John's. Um, and then also Serenus Marcelonis, who was a role player on that team, he's inducted into the Hall of Fame for his international play. And Don Nelson, the coach, is a Hall of Famer too. Hmm. So who's missing? Alton Liston? Timmy. Okay. Tim Hardaway, senior. Excuse me, I know you're a Knicks fan, so you don't. You, you only know who Junior is. He's not in the Hall of Fame. Timmy is not in the Hall of Fame yet, and. Well, you know, the, it, it, Tim's public reputation was damaged by some comments uh, on the radio several years back, and I think that he's paid a dear, dear price. And also, really personally reconciled his personal beliefs from back then with, you know, what's appropriate socially and, and ethically and, and the way you treat people, and, and he came about. Um, you know, he was maybe on the wrong side of history, and he didn't know it. But, but Tim is always a very good athlete. And 
I've met him many times over the years, and he's he's a good person. I mean, he's just. I think that maybe his beliefs were behind the times, and uh, and it's still holding him back. A lot of these guys come from a different walk of life too. You know what I mean? They they, they come they come from a different place, and uh, it's just they were, they were, it's where you're raised. You know. I think that's a big part of it. I think that you know all he said was prevailing attitudes among many, many, many professional athletes, and that was what seven, eight years ago um, that he made those comments. Yeah, I think that Timmy deserves to be in. Uh, he's paid the penalty, a huge penalty. I mean, he was he was an ambassador for the team. I mean, the public embarrassment um, and the public education that he's gone through are impressive. I mean, the embarrassment, too impressive. But the education is much more important. And, and he's really actually worked very closely with, um, you know, with pro-gay groups. And, you know, not just to redeem his reputation, but because he's actually a decent guy. And, you know, he still works with the team, and he's still very involved with the team. A lot of people have been forgiven for a lot worse, put it that way. I agree with you. And if you hear that music, you know that it's time to wrap up. Yep, let's go Huskies tonight. <laughs> go Huskies tonight. Sure, why not? I'm going to cheer for the Wildcats, uh, just for my friend Sonia, Sonia Gonzalez. So anyway, thank you for joining us tonight. This is the Only in Miami show, and I want to thank all of our guests tonight. We had Mark Sarnoff, City city Commissioner from Miami from District 2. We had Rick Hirsch, Managing Editor of the Miami Herald. We also had Rodney Barreto from Ultra Music Festival. I'm your host, Grant Stern, and thank you for joining us Only in Miami. Miami.